Warning, this episode of Unburdened does contain profanity. Listener discretion is advised. Unburdened. Unburdened, episode 20. A lot has happened since the last time that uh, we've all been together in the house of the Lord. I'm Derek. He's Corbin. He's Gerald. Um, Unburdened is a show that is based firmly upon the belief that everybody has a past and we need to really take a look back at what we've done in our past to affect our futures and unburden ourselves of the toxic masculinity and anxiety, depression, schizophrenia, mental illnesses that have also hindered us. Now, mental illness, when I say unburden ourselves of it, I'm not saying like get rid of it because you can't. And to say that you can is completely disingenuous and is going to lead people to more depression when they realize they can't. Um, I just want people to be able to live comfortably with themselves. Um, A lot of times the issue that we have isn't living comfortably with ourselves. It's living comfortably with what other people think about our mental illness. I think that's the biggest issue is that we want to live in the world that other people see for us, that we want to be the people that other people see for us. And I don't, that's just not going to happen. We have one simple rule, no transphobia, no misogyny, no homophobia, and no racism. And I was asked by a white guy, uh, just a couple of days ago, uh, why he should listen to this show when it's the page literally says it's made for black men. It's called Black Men Unburdened. And the answer that I gave to him was, it's not just for black men. We are open to answering all questions. We're open to talking to all people. It's just that we're three black men. So we can't get on here and talk about issues that are affecting the white community. We can't, like we can guess, but we'd sound horribly disingenuous and quite honestly, uneducated on the situation because we're not white. So if we had a white person come on the show, we'd be able to talk with you about your issues. We talk about our issues and we come to a, a, a safe medium. If we had a young lady come on the show or a lady period come on the show, we'd be able to talk to them about their issues. If we had somebody who was LGBTQIA, They'd be able to come on here and talk about their issues, and we'd listen, provide a shoulder. Hopefully, when they were done with the conversation, they would be able to say, I feel unburdened from the things that are holding me back. Um, but I, it's been a while, and my lips keep on wagging because I've missed y'all. Um, I'm joined by Corbin. I'm joined by uh, Gerald. Let's start with Corbin, because it's been a long time. Corbin, how are you doing? I'm doing well, doing well. Just wanted to uh, check in and see how you were doing. I appreciate you calling me last week. You know, if I don't talk to y'all enough in a short amount of time, I start to get really freaked out. It's it's not even like a... um, 
I wonder how they're doing thing. I have realized that I literally start to wonder if people are alive. And um, very recently, which this happens to me every year. So when I say very recently, it doesn't really mean very recently. It just means like this happened at some point in my life. I came to the decision that a lot of people who I check in on, I don't need to check in on. They're fine. Um, and me checking in on them is probably causing them more issues than me leaving them alone. Because a lot of people, when I call them, I'm like, how are you? They're like, why? What'd you hear? I ain't got no warrants. I ain't been hurting nobody. I was just wondering why you called so early for you. Because I was on my way to work. That's the only reason. That's what time I'm on my way to work. Like, we do the butt crack of dawn jobs over here. (laughs) So, when I call you and you're on your way to work, I am literally doing the same thing. And it's just the easiest way to talk to people. It's either that or I'm listening to a nice blend of gangster rap music and um really jazz and lizzo <laughs> and uh this is a question i have my wife and i are fighting over this kenny g is jazz yes songbird is, is one of the greatest jazz songs of all time why are y'all fighting over this she hates that song yeah I mean, a lot of people are going to hate that. A lot of people hate Kenny G. Well, that's Honestly. when I light the candles and stuff and put the songbird on. But, I mean, anybody hear that? All she does is laugh at me. I think that's her nervous reaction to everything I do is to giggle. I laugh. would giggle if somebody put on some candles and started playing songbird around me because either we're about to make out or you're a vampire. and <laughs> You're going to try and suck my blood. <laughs> There's no in-between. Somebody plays that at the dental office. Something bad's about to happen. They want me to go to sleep. But um, I just, I just, I don't worry as much as I used to, but I worry. And it's just, it, it pops up at the most inopportune moments. Like, it'll be like, okay, I just realized that this person isn't, they don't sound happy. Like you, you talk like you're happy, but you don't sound happy. Let me probe a little bit further. And then I start trying to break down things and they don't need to be broken down because I feel things so strongly that I believe that they're there. I can convince myself that something's there that isn't actually there. And I'm pretty good at it. Um, and sometimes I'm right. Sometimes there is something deeper, but most times it's like picking at a scab. If you pick at a scab, you might take that scab off, but you're not going to do it without pain. You know what I'm saying? Uh, anyhow, Gerald, how are you doing today? Uh, today I'm I'm fine. I'm back at home, which is good. Um, last few months has been crazy. Um, just wild busy. Uh, I was on the road every week the last three weeks in a different part of the country. Literally made my way from the Midwest to the South to the West coast to the East coast. And now back to the Midwest. Like I just did it. I did my own hands across America, but it was just me in an airplane. Um, but yeah, that's, that's been the last few weeks, just trying to, um, trying to make this extra money, um, pay off some debts, get back to square zero where I was before I moved from California and, um, making a, some pretty big strides on that. So that's actually pretty dope. Um, and then aside from that, like I have been in a really great spot, um, I guess analytically, which means mentally for me, cause I'm, I'm happiest when I get to analyze stuff. Yeah. Um, when, when us came out, 
I have seen that movie six times now. I don't go see movies multiple times. I just don't do it. I'm not that interested. I have seen us six times and I'm mad that I can't find it in theaters anymore. Mm-hmm. So I had the time of my life, like just going and breaking that movie down over and over and over again. And I can't wait till it hits Blu-ray in June because I'm buying it immediately and I'm buying it on the streaming services and I'm getting it on my computer and I will probably watch it like once a week. I will probably watch us like I listen to, um, to damn. And on top of that, shout out to Corey Morgan, who is my best friend in the world. And we were riding when I was in DC. Um, we were riding somewhere. We were listening to damn and we were just talking about the lyrics, this and the other. And he just drops a bomb on me that apparently I'm like eight years late for. Cause he was like, so have you listened to a backwards yet? And I was like, wait, wait huh? What? Yeah. No. You listen to a backwards. It's a whole different album. Why would I listen to it backwards? He was like, you hadn't listened to it backwards. I was like, Tell the story backwards. I, it tells the story in frontwards. Yeah, frontwards. Back. Really, it starts backwards. Yeah, part. and I like my brain immediately. I was like, oh, "You have opened up a new world for me." So I made a new playlist immediately with all the tracks, and I just flipped them Duckworth down. And now the way that I have listened to Dan re- uh, repeatedly, two to three times a day for the last however long it's been since it came out. Now I'm doing that with um, Nomad which pretty much is what I named the um the playlist. the playlist that I flipped around and it's even more dope listening to it backwards and I'm like oh my god like these little things that you put at the end of the song that lead into the next song still lead into the next song when you're playing it backwards and what is wrong with you damn now like damn that's why you named it damn and I'm like I'm an idiot I I don't know I have had so much stuff just thrown in my brain the last few months that have ma- has made me happy that I can just keep just analyzing crap that doesn't really matter to anybody else except me but i thrive on that stuff i don't really care (laughs) if anybody else even thinks about it i just i don't know it just gets me going so there's been a lot of just hitting my brain lately and keeping me engaged so i'm very happy okay how are you mr jones well uh i am which one i was gonna say i just told you (laughs) The Sacramento Jones. <laughs> ah, okay. Um, I am knee-deep in a project that is going to run me at least a year. It is a pet project born completely of love and uh, of black boy joy, really. Um, and it is the year of Kid Awesome. Um, my youngest son um, is quite the looker. Um, I, I can't put it any other way. Like the kid is straight up beautiful. Like, like he, I don't have a symmetrical face. Like if I look at people's faces long enough, I start to see flaws. Like I'll analyze the hell out of people's faces. Um, I'm analyzing the hell out of Gerald's right now. Um, and I can tell you right now that my face doesn't work in a lot of places because it's not symmetrical. Like I know people who have a eye who that one eye is higher up than the other one and have a crooked smile and all that kind of stuff. And I say all that to say that I was looking at my son a couple of days ago and I realized that he didn't like his face was flawless, like all the way through. And so I just told him like, yo, you're beautiful. And he looked at me and he was like, what do you mean? And I was like, you're beautiful. 
And he was like, why didn't you tell me I'm handsome? And I was like, because you're beautiful. And he was like, well, um, why didn't you say I was handsome? I was like, it means the same thing, but you're beautiful. And he was like, but guys are handsome and girls are beautiful. And I was like, no. And I'm actually, I, I apologize for not telling you before how beautiful you are, but you're beautiful. It pleased me to be the first person to tell you you're beautiful. You have model beauty. You are a beautiful kid. And so I took his picture and posted it up online. And I've decided that every single day, no matter what, I'm going to get a picture of my son and I'm going to post it up on Instagram and I'm going to post it up on Facebook under the hashtag the year of kid awesome. And it's just going to be him smiling. And I show him the comments that people say, and, and because kids, bro, we all have kids. And so, you know, the struggles that they go through with wondering what other people in their peer group think about them. And honestly, what their parents think about them. And are you being honest with me when you're telling me these things? And do you even like me or do you like this person more? And we talked about the favoritism thing uh, in an earlier episode. But our kids wonder about so much and worry about so much. And they have so much on their plates that, that, that just loads them down. And a big part of it is just what people think about them, that I just want him to see some of the comments that people make about him and about his glow and about his smile and about his character and about everything. I read an article a couple of days ago that said that uh, suicide amongst black youth is up to its highest levels that it's ever been before. That's scary to me because I don't, I, I don't, I don't know what we can even start thinking about doing to fix something like that. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just, that's what I've been working on more than anything else. Uh, in 2018, they had already found that suicide rates for black children is twice that of white children. Um, and that was in elementary school. Um, suicide rates for children ages five to 12 for black children ages five to 12 is roughly twice as high for black children than for white children. But for adolescents ages 13 to 17, it flips. And then white children have twice as high of a rate. So somewhere in their formative years, our children are reaching that point of no return. And we really have to start taking steps to figure out how to get them back. And if this is one small thing that I'm doing, I mean, I, I, it seems to be working. He's glowing. He's smiling. He's involved. He's loving every moment of it. If this one little thing works for my son, I'm okay with that. Because selfishly, selfishly, I just want my son to see every day. If he sees every day and every day is bright and wonderful, then obviously he's on drugs because nobody has those everyday type of sunshine days. But if he sees every day and one day it's, it's, it's gray and one day it's bright and one day it's a little bit off color, I'm okay with that. The days that I'm worried about is the days where every day it rains. And we've had those days. I've had those days. He's had those days. We've had those days together. And I just, 
I'm working more than anything else right now. I could say my job right now is working to ensure my children's mental health. Um, I went to GoGo's dance recital uh, this past Friday, and it was started at seven o'clock and ended at ten o'clock. Bruh, so much dancing! Like, oh my god, dancing! I love my daughter, but she was only in like three or four or five or six routines, and that was like fifty routines dancing, just dancing machines. And it was some of it was just interesting, and the rest of it was just like, why am I here? But my daughter needed me to be there one of the most heartbreaking things that I can remember and I remember this vividly when Gogo was in third grade she was in a talent show and I had promised her that I was going to be there uh but she at that point in time was living on the north side um Victor my 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 uh youngest son is 11 um Victor Johnson, uh, one of the old school homies, was asking how old uh, Kid Awesome is. He's 11. He's the one that I beat in basketball when he was seven and then had to let him run it back because he uh, burst into tears, and I felt horrible about that. Um, but when Gogo was in the third grade, uh, she had a talent show, and she was dancing the talent show, and I had promised her that I was going to be there. The talent show was held at her school, which was all the way across town from where I was working. So I had to jump in my car and try and get across town to where she was at, and by the time I got there, she had just finished. Like literally as I walked through the door, she was doing the final note of her performance with tears running down her face as she's looking out into the crowd for me. And I, heartbroken, heartbroken. So this dance recital, yeah, it was long. It was a hard three hours. But my daughter walked into it with a smile on her face. We hung out before the performance. She walked out with a smile on her face. We went and got something to eat. She went to her mom's house with a smile on her face. And that's how I knew that it was all right. Um, And I think that that's my job. Like, if I got – people always talk about what they would do if they won the lottery. Like, if you won the lottery right now, what would you do? I know exactly what I would do if I won the lottery. I used to say I'd buy a a mansion, all that kind of uh – nah. I'd pay off all of my bills. And I will make sure that my kids are mentally sound. I will be there for everything, every single thing. And no matter what they did, they would hear me. They would know I was right there on the front row cheering for them and just heart in my hand, just clapping for them. And they would know that somebody had their back. And right now, I can only do that half the time because of work. But when I can do it, they're going to hear me somewhere somehow we're taking pictures I'm the proudest dad out there and all that stuff because it wasn't always like this you know as we grow we realize the world revolves around our kids more than it revolves around us and it's so important but now as I see more and more stuff about the the suicide rates of young black kids I realize that it is even more important that I let my kids know that if nobody else loves them Tupac cares if don't nobody else care I just had that conversation just like, well, similar to what you were saying. I realized my oldest is going to be 19 in August. Right. And so I was telling one of my coworkers that was there, you know, right around the time she was, I used to be a very hard parent. I'm talking about you, you sigh, you look at me funny. You don't move fast enough. I, I was a lot like my parents. If they told you to do something, you, you hop to it. It wasn't like, I, you know, I'm going to 
get up whenever. And I told her right around the time uh, Jasmine turned nine or ten, nine, I, I kind of had an epiphany in the middle of the night. I woke up. Uh, I went to my bedroom or to my bathroom, and I just broke down crying, man. I just I, Nothing was wrong. I just started thinking about how hard and how tough I have been on them. And I wasn't seeing them regularly because of my situation with their mother and stuff like that. So when I, when I saw them, I wanted to make it not, uh, I didn't want to have to teach life lessons and things like that. You know, when I see you for an hour and now, you know, I don't see you for another two months or anything like that. So what I started doing at that point was just, letting them grow, trying to teach them, not punish everything uh, that I didn't see. I mean, I may not understand it. As long as it's not hurting you, I'm going to let you do it. We're going to talk through it. And now, you know, they call me a softy because, you know, back when I was nine or 10, you know, you let them raise their voice and everything like that, but they don't do it in a disrespectful way. We have, we have arguments. I have arguments with my children. Mm -hmm. I hate the, Hate to tell people that, but I do. You know, people look down on me for that because I don't slap the fire out their face the minute they look at me. <laughs> you know, I don't. We yeah. gonna, we're going to do this. This is how we're going to be. I'm, I'm, I'm teaching you analytically. Either you make me understand or I can make you understand. But I always got your back. I don't want you to feel like I, I, I don't like you. I don't. I mean, and it's been that way for, gosh, like 10, 10 years now. And so me and my oldest son, Kobe, we have a relationship I never could have with either of my parents. We talk about some of the things that like, uh, I don't know, he'll probably be embarrassed. I said this, but like which razor to use to, to do your manscaping uh, <laughs> with shaving cream and stuff like that. When we talk about stuff like that, it doesn't bother me. He brings it up. I bring it up. Oh yeah. And I ask him, hey, how's that razor doing? You know, I would never ask my dad about anything like that or tell him anything about it. But we got that kind of relationship. So, I mean, I, I make every minute count now. And I think that has made a difference in our relationship. And, I, you know, it's a daily battle. I mean, they're going to hate me. I get that from time to time, you know, because I'm at the stage with my oldest two. They're uppity teenagers. I don't know. I go from Superman and not knowing nothing. So I'll go back to Superman, you know, about five, 10 years, but I understand that. And I just got to wait that out and be there when they need me. And that's, I, I get that now. The homie Victor said, uh, he was just like you, Corbin, uh, you grow along with your kids and it took him a long time to realize that. And he's the biggest a- thing is to admit when you're wrong. Right. I mean, like, look, I'm sorry. I messed up. I mean, those things that I never thought, I mean, I've still, I mean, older generations don't do that. Even when they're wrong, they're not wrong. Mm-hmm. So I, I didn't have that. And that's what I, that's the one thing I want to give to them is that if, if I really am wrong and I hurt your feelings or I did something you didn't like, tell me, I'm not going to defend it. I will apologize and I'm going to do better. Just give me an opportunity to do better. Bruh, the breaking point for me, and I'm so not proud of this, ever, ever, so not proud. 
And it's something I would never be able to walk back. It's just something that I have to work through and show that it will never happen again. We were at Devin's skills clinic and um, he was doing something. And I told him to do something and uh, he did it. And I told him, you got to do this this way. And he said, you told me before to do it this way. And I, I'm old. My memory is shaky. And I was like, no, I didn't. And he was like, you lie. Oh, man. I don't know why the word you lie has always been like that thing that you're not allowed to say to black parents or the parents, period. I don't know. But I lost it. I lost it. His trainer lost it. We both got on. Don't ever say that I'm a liar and blah, blah, blah. And don't disrespect me. And you know what I lost sight of? Being called a liar isn't actually disrespectful. Being called a liar is literally I am questioning what you're saying. And this is the best way I know how to get it out because I'm 11. I'm 10. And I'm telling you what I feel from my heart because you always want to be honest with you. I don't think you're being factual. And I exploded on this kid. And it was like to that point, you have that moment where you you feel like you've gone too far. You just can't stop. And I'm screaming at him. I'm screaming at him all the way home. I'm like, what did I ever do to you? And all this kind of stuff. I'm not proud of any of this. And he's just looking at me. And he was like, when I was a little kid, you spanked me. And I was like, I did when you were like six and now you're 11. And I thought about it. I literally forced this kid to draw up what was his worst memory of me in the midst of me yelling at him about him thinking that I wasn't honest about something that I couldn't even remember what I had said. So I couldn't tell you if I was being honest or not. I couldn't. But I knew that I had to defend my own honor, even though there was really no honor to be had amongst kids. Like, I'm talking to my kid. This should be the opportunity for me to build that bridge between me and my youngest son and instead me and my youngest kid. And I'm instead, I'm getting on him like, you want to go? You want to go? This West Side, who you calling a liar? You better, you better be able to defend yourself calling me a liar and just handled it the complete wrong way. And I am just, even now, just thinking about it, I'm just mesmerized by how poorly I responded and how poorly I acted. And there's no way to actually walk those back. There's those moments that you have, both good and bad, that you can't walk back. Like, once you make a decision, like you, Corbin, how you say you argue with your kids, I argue with my kids now. I talk with my kids about everything, like, openly. We talk about all kinds of stuff. Like, I, I think we have one of the most open and honest households that I've ever seen because nothing's left on the table. You know, I think we got one of them, too. And, and I'm it, happy about that. It feels good, doesn't it? It does, and it comes from... It's scary, too. It is because you, you don't know what's coming out of their mouth. Exactly. You know, it's not like I can't I can't say that to dad. Like I can't I can have a couple of conversations with my fathers about cars, the kids, gardening, uh what I did yesterday, work, stuff like that. My kid will call me and I'm like, do I want to answer this? Because not, <laughs> not because I want to have time, but it's like he's going to ask me something funky or she's going to say something crazy. And I have no idea what's about to come out of her mouth. 
So let me let me park. <laughs> let me let me call her right back. Uh, you know, and, and then I go on about it. But it is so weird, man. It's the scariest thing I have ever had. Being open with my kids, I thought would be like a freeing type thing. I am so terrified. You know what? Being open with your kids is that conversation that you end up talking with them about stuff that you never got taught to with your parents about, but it's where you have those conversations like, Oh, you're, you got prom next week. Okay. Uh, what are we doing about getting you on birth control? Have we gotten you the pill? Like what's your mom doing as far as getting you on the pill? What steps are we taking? Do I need to get you an appointment to get you on the pill? Um, do you have condoms? Like, Hey, we're going to an AAU tournament. If you and your girlfriend are at my house while I'm gone, you better use condoms. Like, I don't even know if my son's sexually active. I don't. I don't push him on that. I just know that we bought him a box of condoms. And it's like, yo, if we're not here and you're here and she comes over, which I know is going to happen whether we say to or not because I was a teenage boy. Yeah. You better use condoms. Have those condoms somewhere nearby. Be safe. Be secure. And be honest with us. And I can't stress enough how important it is that we are honest with our kids just like they're honest with us because if we're not honest with them then what the fuck are they doing it for yeah that was the hardest thing that i i had to learn it's like when you say be honest you gotta mean it because the back of my hand can't be behind your honesty mm-hmm. or you're just not gonna do it my my kids aren't stupid i mean i don't think anybody's children are dumb if you say be honest and i'm honest with you and the next thing I know, you beat me. I'm not going to be honest no more. I'm not going to be honest with you. I mean, that's just stupid. Now, it might be hurtful. It might be crazy. But, you know, we got to talk this out. Gerald, say something. I'm listening to y'all. What I got to say? Gerald got youngins. He ain't, he ain't, he ain't through this life yet. No, yeah. he, got it, he got it easy. Yeah, my, my three youngest ones, um, our conversations are much more uh, – conceptual theor- theoretical y'all keep uh, talking about yourselves i'll be right back yep yep because uh because me and nyla we have kind of a a policy of we want the kids to be able to be kids because i personally feel like black kids are forced to grow up way too early and it's not fair that they don't get to like just maintain that innocence for longer where their peers get to do that like the entire society is set up so that white children actually just get to enjoy being children and they don't have to have all these hard talks about all these different reasons why they're treated however they're treated early on and then be told you got you gotta be like i just all that stuff bugs me so we have done as much as we can to try to shield the kids from us being the ones to force them to grow up. Um, meaning just have your innocence, have fun, be a kid, explore. Like our, our oldest of the young group is uh, 11 or soon will be. And she still does all the creative and fun and play in and exploring around the house things that the younger ones do. Like she's not fully embraced that, that preteen, a rebellion yet she's getting there right but she still has that innocence but at the same time um we also have a policy of we don't sugarcoat anything when asked yes so That's whenever 
yeah, when, whenever something comes up and, and our kids have like tough questions because they're really smart quit kids. And whenever anything comes up that is uh, like a, a, a adult conversation, whether it's political, whether it's religious, whether it's racism, whether it's about war, whatever, we give them the, um, I wouldn't say child abridged version, but it's very much more the encyclopedia version of it. Like, I'm not going to sit here and give you my opinion. I'm not going to try to bias you. I'm not going to try to uh, scare you into or out of something. We're just going to kind of give you, if you were opening up the Encyclopedia Britannica and looking this up, you're going to get everything you would find there from us. We're, we're not going to try to make it, you know, sunshine and lollipops for, for you. Um, and that always leads to further questions and further questions. And what, what we end up having is these kind of deep conversations about, conceptual things because kids are smart right and they know the things we've already taught them so then when they start asking questions about why stuff is happening in the world that doesn't align with that the next like they make the logical steps well then why this exactly boom 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 well then who would exactly boom 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 and then we end up just going down these rabbit holes but they're all very kind of innocent questions right it's an innocent conversation where the kids are just learning and getting smarter. Uh, on the other hand, the older one who will be 18 this year, um, that's a whole different ball game that I have not been prepared for at all. Um, all the stuff you guys were saying about, you know, being tough when you were younger and everything like that. Same thing with me and him. We've had this conversation on the show, right? How I used to be as a dad. Um, and I really feel like, having gone through that with him and having had to come on the backside to mend that relationship, do all the things y'all were saying, apologize and be honest and all this kind of stuff about, about our faults that has gotten us to a place where he is willing to talk to me um, and, and talk to me about things that he may not have been willing to definitely wouldn't have been willing to before. Um, so Nyla posted in the comments, uh, um, they wanted to know how Genghis Khan has so many descendants that was a rough conversation. So that was a conversation I missed. <laughs> Were y'all watching um, a documentary or something? They uh, No, one of them probably was learning at school, and then they come out. I don't know. Like She'll put it in the comments. Every five people on Earth is... Uh, yeah, yeah. Genghis Khan? <laughs> so she, which is... So anyway, she'll probably post in the comments. I just saw that in there. She'll, she'll tell you where it came from. I was not here for that one, but those conversations happen all the time in our house. Anyway, I was talking about the older one. Like, the conversations that he and I have now are things that I never would have thought that I would have to try to work through with somebody. But his upbringing is so very unique that the way that he rationalizes things or the, the wants and desires that he has right now have been shaped by his upbringing, which is one that is, is very kind of a rare mix of being both completely embraced and completely abandoned at the same time. Um, and so, like, right now, the conversations that, that really bug me, the biggest one is, you know, I got a call from my mom saying that my son was saying he's not going to college. He's a junior in high school saying he's already decided he's not going to college. So they're having that argument because he's living at home in Arkansas with her. Um, and she's doing what a 60-year-old woman is going to do, right? Just, I can't, I can't understand. I can't get it. It's college or nothing right so me and him are having a conversation and she gets on she's like i need you to talk to him so i'm talking to him me and him having the conversation i'm like look 
college, what's up? I don't want to get all this student debt. I don't want this, that, and the other. That doesn't make any sense, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you know, that makes sense. I like that. I like the way you're thinking about this. So what's your other plan? I mean, I'm just going to figure it out. Okay, so I can't, I can't roll with that. There's trade school. There's military. There's go. There's all these different options you have, but you have to pick a path. You can't just say, I'm going to go figure it out. Um, that that's not how this works. I can't hear you. You're muted. I think I said, I'm an example of that's the worst thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> say I'll, I'll figure it out as I go. Nah. Right. And that, and that thing, that is what is bugging me because I'm like, I want to have, I want to have that logical, rational conversation with you. But when we get off the track of logic and we can't continue walking, that's where my brain breaks. Cause I'm just like, it, it doesn't, does not compute. Like I go, I go full robot mode. Somebody just press my power down button. I'm done. Like my brain fries as soon as we get off the logic track. And that's what I'm trying to figure out with him is how do I get him to walk down the path of understanding that I will support any path you choose except no path. That's the thing. You can't choose his path and you but, convince but, but hold on. The path. But this is what I'm saying. I can't support no path. I don't care what path you choose, but I, and I will, I will stand by this as me being me. I will never support. I'm just going to figure it out. I I will never just say, well, do you accept. And here's the other part of it. Cause this is part of the conversation we've had, uh, especially when it's one of, well, I'm just going to have to figure it out. I'm going to stay living with somebody else who already has a mortgage and I'm going to just work and keep all my money and eat their food and live under their roof while I figure myself out and ignore all of their advice. That's the thing that I'm just like, no, it doesn't work that way. But because, how do you know he's ignoring their advice? Just because, because he's not taking no, their advice. No, no, no. Time I, I'm in the conversations. I'm telling you, ignoring the <laughs> advice. Uh, trust me. This, this, We've had this conversation. So literally that's the conversation. I'm just going to stay here. I'm going to work and I'll just have to figure it out as I go. And I'm like, okay, you're going to work. So you're, so you're going to drive a car that somebody else paid for on insurance that they're paying for and a house that they're paying for eating food that they're paying for. So you can just keep all of your money as a grown man and somehow some way eventually you'll figure out how the world works. Um, no, that doesn't work for me to, to me. I, I can support that if, and only if, if you're saying I have to be my own man and I have to figure it all out on my own, that has to be accompanied with, so I'm moving out when I'm 18 and I'm taking over all of my own bills because otherwise there's no learning going on there. I feel like that's the worst thing you could do too. I, I really, he, and you're a lot like me, Gerald. I have a timetable in my head too. By this age, you should do this. By this age, you should do this. And so I, no, I don't have a timetable, that, but that's not what I'm saying. Okay. So this, and this is where this normally goes, right? With, especially with black parents, like you're going to either go to college, or you're going to get out of my house. Pay some bills. That, that's not, house. that's not where I'm going with this. I'm going from a logical place. If you are saying, I don't want any of your advice. I want to figure this out on my own. I don't want to go down any path that anyone has told me I have to go down. I want to choose my own path and just figure it out. And anything that you tell me 
I'm going to respond with, you just don't understand my generation. It doesn't work that way anymore. You don't know what you're talking about. That's why I said ignoring the advice. Okay. These are words. And so to me, when you make that conscious decision to tell the people who are literally paying for you, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm going to do my thing. You also, if that's genuinely where you are, you also have to accept the responsibility of saying, and I'm going to finance this decision because you can't expect someone to finance your decisions when you're flat out saying, I don't want to do anything that you want me to do. Give me your money or give me your house or give me your yeah. this. Well, that, comes, that. that comes with a price. I get you. That's, that's what I'm saying because I can't go into somebody's job and get hired and then say, all right, y'all running this company all wrong. We doing it my way from now on. No, you're fired. You're not going to continue while getting you my still money. Pay me while you pay me. That's what, and that's my point. Is it's not a matter of you better do this to get out of my house. It's if you really want to do it on your own, then man up and take full responsibility for paying for that decision as well, because that's the quickest way in my mind that this person is going to get from I'm gonna just figure it out to who this was a bad idea. I need to do something else. Let me take some counsel. I want you to understand the full extent of what it is that you're saying that you want. And there's no way you figure that out before 30. If I'm paying for you to just kind of sit around and stack money. And so I, I, I can't, no, I will never, I will never feel it from that. I'm sorry. You, you have to either take the counsel of the people who are financing you, or if you want to take no counsel, you must finance yourself. It's that's how it should work personal opinion I, I get what you're saying that's i just it. just be there when he hits the ground that's all i gotta say yeah like are you going to pick him back up when he hits the ground or are you just gonna let him lie there it depends on what he wants to do if he wants to lie there and not take counsel i will allow him to do that because he's a grown man at that point if he says this was a mistake <laughs> i really should have listened what do i do and he seeks counsel I will happily both give him counsel and support and guidance and literally the financial or whatever support he needs, but you can't force. And, and this is whether it's your own children or anybody else, you can't force anybody else to want your help. Mm-hmm. And I think that with children at some point, you have to let them understand that when you're saying, I don't want your help, you're literally looking at somebody and saying, I don't want to hear any of the words coming out of your mouth. You can't then also say, but keep paying for me. But keep, that just yeah. doesn't, it just doesn't compute. No, you're absolutely right. Uh, my eldest daughter um, and I basically came to that same realization. Like she was living in our house because she was going to school. And then uh, while well, she was working and all this other good stuff, but she was working a swing shift and she'd get home late night. And she'd come home and she'd go into her room and she'd close the door and she'd start screaming into her phone or into her computer, whatever it may have been. So she and I had a conversation about her room's health, like the tidiness of her room and uh, about the late night conversations where she's literally screaming at her friends, she says, and, and just cursing at an extremely loud volume. Like, this would be cool if you lived in the house by yourself or in the apartment by yourself. Your apartment mates may not like it. Your neighbors may not like it, but it's your spot. But when you have a sibling sleeping in the room right next door at, like, midnight and they're hearing you do this, it's kind of an issue. So we talked about it, and her bottom line was, well, I'll just move out. 
And at first I was going to try and stop her. And then I remembered you're 21. You know what? Go for it. If you're going to move out because I asked you to clean your room and stop talking so loud, go for it. You got a job. It's time for you to really see what the world is like. We're still here if you need us, but bye. And she moved out. And um, I, she's had her struggles. She's had her successes. But it's been a completely, like, it's a it's a different world when you're out there by yourself. Like I said, out that hesitation. Um, and it wouldn't have come about if, you know, it, it was one of those situations, like you said, I want to do this, but I, I, I don't want to really pay for it. And I don't want to follow your rules. And you're, as our eldest child, you are the example for the younger ones. Like, they're going to look at you and see, can I get away with this? Because she's getting away with it. And that doesn't work for me. Like, even having an open and honest conversation or open, honest relationship with all of our kids, like I really want, there's some things that you're just not going to be honest with me about, like why your room is always looking like this. And when we tell you to clean it, it doesn't happen. And these things just aren't getting done. And you say you're leaving. I'm not going to try and stop you. Does that make me a bad parent because I'm not trying to stop you? No, no. If you're 16 and you're like, I'm moving out, I'm like, wait, we're not going to have that. If you're 12 and you're saying you're running away from home, I'm not going to do like my dad did. My dad packed me a lunch. Hmm. My dad made five peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and put them in a bag and was like, see you later. And I went around the corner and sat at my friend's house on his steps with him and ate peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and then came back home. My dad was like, oh, hey. This one's 21. My eldest one was 21. When she was like, I'm, I'm leaving, I was like, I thought about it. And I was like, you know what? That might be best for everybody involved. Like, you really got to see that the world is not made to cater solely to you. And that we aren't trying to, I think that the bigger thing was, we're not trying to run your life or ruin your life. And I think that as long, the longer that kids stay in their parents' homes without any real desire to go anywhere else or do anything else, they want to still live like they're teenagers or like they're little kids because they're living in their parents' houses. The worst off it is. I mean, the worst case scenario to me, honestly, is baby boy. <laughs> oh, Lord, no. And I know that that was a rest in peace. Rest in peace to John Singleton. Um, but that was a worst case scenario of what happens when somebody, when a kid stays in their parents' house for just a little bit too long. And so I'm not going to have anybody baby boying me. I'm not going to have anybody running up to me thinking they can knock me out or anything like that. I don't want to have to choke out one of my kids while I'm standing butt naked cooking, cooking bread. Because it's my house. I don't want to have to do none of that psychological stuff. I just want my kids to, and this is this is just a roundabout way to say I appreciate exactly where you're coming from, Gerald. It took me a second, but I know exactly where you're coming from. I want my kids to appreciate where they are, what they're going through, and then get out and, and experience the world on their own. So then they, they can come back to me and talk to me about the experience they're having, and we can give more guidance and offer more guidance. But it's not just going to be like, a, I'm going to do what I want to do, but you're going to payroll me doing what I want to do 
because you're my cushion. I can't just be the cushion for that for your whole life. Right. So like, great example. I don't know exactly what's about to happen in the next season of Grownish. I don't know if you watch Grownish at all. Yep. So, I mean, whole first two seasons, right? You just looking and thinking this is, oh, so this is just another one of those shows where somehow all these folks in college have all this money and they can just live this whole party life. And Dre comes in in the last episode, like, wait, you doing what? You cut off, figure it out. Like that's because she was out there thinking, oh, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And this money is just going to be here forever. And she never actually had to figure out what responsibility was. Mm -hmm. And I I love that, that he came in and was just like, oh, we're not even going to have no long drawn out sequence. This is over. Figure it out. Because that's what she needed. Having access to his money any further than that was not going to help her get where she wanted to go. And I think, so another thing is completely understanding that there are people who live their entire lives who never make more than $20,000 a year and they're extremely happy because that doesn't matter to them. Um, I don't know if my son is going to be one of those people. He may very well say, Oh, well, if I got to figure it out, I figure it out and move out and literally just never get those big money skills and never become whatever, you know, a parent would think it might be, but he might live an entirely happy life with not a whole lot of money and just going out and experiencing the world because he seems like that kind of guy. And I don't want to, um, I don't want to deter him from that and say, that's not a life you can live either. But that also, if that's who he's going to be, that doesn't start. If he holds on to that safety net of, well, I'm just going to stay in grandma's house and, and live on that dime and just kind of figure it out. It, you, you have to start your life at some point. And at the same time, there's also the fact that this, this is a woman who has lived her life and has raised me and him now. She deserves freedom mm-hmm. in her stuff without some, some younger person being there that she's responsible for either. Like you have to consider everybody involved. You cannot be selfish in this. So the, these are the conversations we have. And we've, and we've talked about it with that nuance. And, and to his credit, when we have these conversations and it gets this deep to where, what are you thinking about her? What are you thinking about the logic of telling somebody, I don't want to listen to you, but I'm going to live off you. He says, oh, wow, I, I hadn't thought about it like that. You gave me some stuff to think about. Like he is a dope kid. He's a really good person, like inside his heart. He is a great human being. However, our brains work differently. And I introduce logic into a lot of his emotions sometimes, but he's smart enough to sit through, think through it and say, oh, that makes sense. Now I have to think about this and come back at it. So I I commend him for that. But I think there's some things where you just have to put your foot down with them. And for me, those places are when, when you go off the track from logic and when you go off the track from personal responsibility and and honor i've always been the person that i feel like you have to take responsibility for your decisions and for your actions and be real about it like if i don't want to hear from you i'm not asking you for nothing if i don't care anything about your opinion i'm not going to ask you for help ever because to me that would be hypocritical don't be a hypocrite that's really what i come down to is 
to say, I don't want to hear you, but I'm going to live off of you. That is, that is hypocritical. That is something that's unacceptable in a human being. I can't get with it. So either take the counsel or don't, but live with those consequences and be the one to own them. Don't make somebody force that on you. Own that up front. Say, I'm not going to listen to you. And also I'm leaving as soon as I'm 18. I'm just going to figure this out. Trust me. I know what I'm doing. Okay, I'll trust you. But you can't do you can't have it both can't ways. Can't have it both ways. hmm Remember that episode of uh the now disgraced Cosby show where I think it was It was Theo, wasn't it? It was it Theo? Was it Theo or was it Denise who didn't want to get out? So they started charging them. Yeah. <laughs> for uh, everything. I thought it was Theo. <laughs> and they gave Monopoly money and then they started taking it. Yeah. That's what I thought about doing with my kids. Nasty man was the landlord. Yeah. (laughs) Think about doing that every so often. But I'm like, that was the guy that I used to be. My mindset was quite simply, you're going to college. I'm not paying for it. Get a scholarship. That was it. (laughs) That was the whole thing. Trust me. From the time that Kenny and Gogo were like five until they turned like, 15 and 14 you're going to college we're not paying for it get a scholarship um i have no idea what kind of stress that added onto their lives i don't know i don't know i just know that on the day that i told them you know what i just want y'all to be happy (laughs) go go literally burst into tears so i'm still trying to find this balance between being an open and honest parent who has open and honest conversations, even though I don't always want to know where the conversation is going to take us to. I don't always like where the conversation takes us to, but it's something that I've opened up. And so it's, 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 you can't close this can of worms. Um, and that parent who wants control, like, I want control. I want to be able to tell my kids, I want you to do this and they do it. But at the same time, I want them to have that freedom, you know, and it's, it's a tricky road. I honestly don't know how white people do it, but every kid that I've seen who has that, that balance is a white kid. And I don't know what exactly like how they get that to that point where they're like relaxed because my parents were all the way over on the spectrum where you're going to do what we tell you to or else. Uh, same for Nisha's parents. Uh, I had one homeboy whose parents were like, do whatever you want, a white kid. Um, and he turned out okay after a while. Uh, works for the state. He's doing good. And then I had white kids who were just like, you know, do here's the balance. Here's the middle line. And I mean, so you had the kids who were like cussing at their parents. Those were all the way to the left spectrum. And then you had the kids who were scared to move. Those are the kids all the way to the right. And then you had kids right in the middle. And I'm trying to figure out how to be right in the middle. Like I told my kids, I know you're going to cuss. I know y'all cuss at school. I don't get on y'all's Instagram and all that kind of stuff. But if I went on your Instagram, I know I'm going to see something. We just had that same conversation. It's like, I know what y'all doing. I mean, I, I get it. Yeah. I get it. I, I mean, I've been that age. 
And it's like, you know, knock yourselves out. Just know that I will disavow any knowledge if your mom or, or, or (laughs) grandma or granddaddy find out. I don't know nothing. Disavow all knowledge. It's like, it's like mission impossible. You are on your own, but it's like, it's going to happen, you know? And I think for me, that was my biggest triumph was telling them that was like, you know what? It's, it's, it's words. It's words. There's better words to use, but it's words. And I realize that you're going to use those words because you're experimenting. Yeah, I think so. I, I like that. I think it goes farther than us as parents, though. Like, I think this kind of goes with what me and Corbin were talking about when you have stepped away for a second about the difference between how black children and white children are allowed to grow up. Because, yeah, you might have permissive parents or you, you might have, you know, authoritative parents who kind of get you that, that center ground. But when it all comes down to it, when the kids walk out of the house, like those those little the white kids who yell and curse at their parents and the white kids who do every single thing their parents ever ask, they are allowed to do whichever one of those things they want to do all the way up into their teens and their 20s. They can go out, they can party, they can get picked up by the cops and just taken on home. They can get kicked out of school and the other school and the other school and the other school. And the society is just like, this is just part of growing up. Mm -hmm. Eventually you'll figure it out. And at whatever point they say, oh, I'm ready to grow up. Society's just like, here are your things. Go ahead and figure it out from here. And our kids, no matter how um, we strike that balance in the home, there's always that cloud hanging over saying, but if they make that wrong mistake one time because I didn't teach them, they don't get the second chance. And I think that's one of those worrisome things that I think black parents have a lot more than white parents and why it's so hard for us to find that balance. Cause there's a lot of guilt that comes on the backside of that of saying, but if I had been just a little bit more, he wouldn't have got that one strike or she wouldn't have got that one strike that completely just put them into a system or took them off of the track. And now they can't ever get a second chance. And we know that's the truth of what happens in the United States. It's just, it's not right that our kids don't get to be kids and literally just to change a skin shade. And you can be uh, a 30 something year old Olympic gold medalist who's in a different country doing some fuck shit. And everybody in the country looks and says, Oh, he's just a young kid. He's just boys will be boys. Mm-hmm. This is a grown 30 something year old man. But then you look at a 12 year old and you say, he's an adult. He's he, a Hulk. He, he was an adult before we killed him. That's what he looked like. Right. And it's just, that's just one of those pieces, man, that as, as, as much as, I want to try to get to that middle ground as well. There's just certain things that it's almost just it's negligence for us to allow them with our children, because we know you don't get to make that mistake in the world once on your own. You have to know it. You have to never do it because you're not going to get to just, they're not going to pick you up and bring you back to me and say, Hey, here's your, here's your offspring made a bad mistake tonight. Talk it's just jacked. In all honesty, that reminds me of a song that I've always loved, which is there's always something there to remind me. No matter how far I go thinking that I can 
just whistle, whistle free in the wind. There's always something there to remind me of who I am and my place in this world. And I'm, I fight against that because I don't, I live in that area where you don't want to blame others for your lack of success. You want to keep striving for success, but then there's clear fact that is showing that you might be on to something. So I try and balance that. Uh, The homie uh, Candace said that when she was younger, she thought that she was going to do that to her kids as well. The whole you're going to college uh, I ain't paying for a thing. Um, her parents told her the same thing. They said that they that she would appreciate college more if she paid for it, um, and that she's not mad at them for their decision. It, it's been difficult, but from that she learned responsibility. I can tell you right now, for me personally, college was hard as hell when I was paying for it by myself, <laughs> and having to get a job while in college, while away from my family for a a long stretch of time for the first time ever and being in a place that had hardly any sunlight. I contemplated, I I literally. That was at least three times in my freshman year of college where I really thought about whether or not it was worth it for me to be there. If it was worth it for me to be alive, like what kind of a stress was I placing on my parents and on my family and everything. And it, it, college is stressful and it's scary and it's hard. Like if you don't like school, college is hell. And nobody ever wants to admit that because we just want to talk about like the experience and the opportunities. Yeah, some of y'all have great experience with college, but go to the wrong college. Go to the wrong college. Wonder if you you can't even really transfer out because you don't know if another college is going to accept you. Go to the wrong college and it's one of the worst experiences. I had a horrible experience in college. I It made me hate an entire state. Seriously. Actually, two entire states. Because West Virginia can get it, too. If my kid went to college and was like, I'm struggling. And I'm struggling. I think that due to my experience, I'd be like, come home. Come home, reboot. We'll figure something else out. Oh, oh, Victor. Oh, I hate Ohio so much. So (laughs) much. Oh, my God. Ohio's the first place that I ever saw a bumper sticker that said, save the world's most endangered species, the white man. Oh, oh, where you had to, you had to be a Buckeye fan. And there was only five black people at the school, but we had a scholarship. I had a partial scholarship for academics, so I had to be there. And people ate my care packages, and I hated it. And it snowed. I'm a California kid. It snowed all the time. That was a blizzard, and the sun never came out. And my teachers didn't know me, didn't associate with me, and had white kids that they could counsel. And so I was just there, waiting 
I didn't want to go into petroleum engineering. I wanted to be a writer. And so because I didn't want to go into petroleum engineering, and it turns out this liberal arts school is primarily a petroleum engineering class or petroleum engineering major school, my advisor told me, I advise you to find another advisor. Jeez. The Black Student Union leader was a white guy who just looked dark. He was a Rachel Dolezal. And he used the, the word nigga frequently, more than we did. There were six of us. There were six of us. Six black people. There were six. And we had to make our own fraternity because they wouldn't accept us. We couldn't go to any parties. We couldn't go anywhere. I hate Ohio in a way that I can never fully convey in words. The time that I left Ohio, ice was on the wings when I got on the plane going to Washington, D.C., and the plane plummeted at least 1,500 feet. I thought I was going to die. I have no good memories of that school. I have no good memories of Ohio, except sitting in a room by myself because I couldn't have roommates because the roommates kept eating my care packages and breaking into my closets and stealing my CDs and giving them to their friends so that they could hear what West Coast hip hop sounded like. So I'm sitting in a room by myself and it's dark and I'm dark and I can't call anybody because this is before cell phones. All of my friends had transferred at that point. And I knew that I wasn't supposed to be there, but I couldn't go back home. I wasn't going to go back home a failure. But I did. I couldn't sleep. I had anxiety. So because I couldn't sleep at night and had 8 o'clock class in the morning because my petroleum engineering advisor didn't advise me that, first of all, freshmen shouldn't take 8 o'clock class. And secondly, you probably shouldn't take a full course. And a full a full course in college is not seven classes. My advisor looked at my schedule that had seven classes on it and smirked. Fuck Ohio. Never going back. And if I go back, I'm coming back with a blowtorch and I'm burning that school down. So if your kids come home and they're thinking that and they had this experience and they're coming to you with their heart in their hand and they're like, I need your help. And they can't really break down why, because they don't want to sound weak when they talk to you about it, because y'all never had the kind of relationship that you should be having. That's where your kids start sinking and you're going to end up saying, I don't know where we went wrong. My mom and dad never knew where I, where they went wrong. They were just like, Derek fell the fuck out of college. Literally. Literally. I will tell you right now, I don't even know what my grade point average was in Ohio. I'm scared to look. But it had to be a O point. O point something. I was miserable. 
They had a class, my English class, the one class I was doing well in because I liked English. They put me in statistics when I was just getting out of Algebra 1 as a senior. They put me in statistics. I felt the hell out of that. They put me in an English class, though, and I knew English, and I loved English because I love writing, and I love thinking, and I love, I can see it. I can see music, and I can see the words, and I can put them down, and so I was on the newspaper staff, and I had a radio show, and I was in English. Those are the three things I cared about, and then one day, my teacher, who was white in an all-white class, other than me, pulled out the article or the story called Being Black in Public Spaces. It was an article talking about or a story talking about how we're supposed to act on elevators and what we do when white folks are walking towards us on the street. And he kept asking me questions. How do you feel about this, Derek? What do you think about this, Derek? And whenever I'd answer, the white kids in the back would be like, oh, you're just sensitive. Fuck you, bro. I'm not hard. I'm not a gangster. I'm from Cali, and I realize I'm outnumbered out here, but suck my dick. Fuck you. Why are you getting hostile with him, Derek? Why are you getting so mad at him? Because he's literally telling me about how he's only known one black person in his life, and they're the cause of all of his stress and angst in his entire life. I can't take this. Y'all can't put this all on me. I'm 18. This was my freshman year of college. And if you ask my mom about it right now, she'll still say that I had a wonderful time. She knows nothing about this. When my wife talked to her about it just a few weeks ago, my mom looked her dead in her eye and said that college was one of the best experiences of Derek's life. Meanwhile, I'm telling stories on my podcast about how I tried to break a Seagram's gin and juice bottle on a rail so then I could stab my best friend to death while I was in college. If you go to college, you can come home. If you go anywhere. I think that's why I, I think that with my daughter, I, I, it was just like, yo, it's to that point, you got to go out and experience the world. But by and large, if you need to come home, come home, reboot, start over. I'm not leaving you out there like that. I'm not putting you out there like that. I can't because I was out there like that. And it's, it's hard. I think that's a really important point that we didn't add earlier, right? I think you kind of asked me that question. Like, if he falls flat, am I just going to leave him out there? I think that's kind of where where this was coming from. And um, I agree with you. Like, the explicitly, not implicitly, but explicitly, it needs to be said and repeated over and over and over that you can always come home, right? Like, whatever decision you make, whatever mistake you make, whatever bad things happen, you can always come home. I think that's one of my favorite songs uh, is that Jason Mraz song, 93 Million Miles. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but anyway, it's basically just the whole message of the song is no matter where you go, no matter what you do, you can always come home, right? And I think that knowing that puts kids in a situation where they can fly 
where they're not af- afraid to jump off the cliff and, and, and take the, the risk because they know that they can always go back. But the only thing that I worry about is over encouraging them to come home because mm-hmm. there's a balance there, right? I don't like the decisions you're making. You need to come home. I don't like the way you're going. I'm coming to get you come home. Like, I think there's, there's too much of, 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 you can do too much of anything, right? You can, you can say you have a door you can walk through, or you can say, if you mess up, I'm coming to get you, you're coming home. And that's just as damaging to feel like my life is not my life. Mm -hmm. When is my life going to be my life? Um, but I think kind of to answer your question earlier and to, and to to hit on how important it is what you just talked about, my policy both is and always will be, you can come home, but I'm not going to come out there and force you home. Like you have, if you have a relationship with your kids, you can tell when they're getting to a point where they need you there. Um, you should. And it's okay to get in the car and go to where they are because you know, they need you. I think it's, it's not okay to get in the car to go to where they are and say, no, 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 no. I don't care what you say. You're coming back with me. I'm taking you. Mm -hmm. Um, But yes, it's like everything else. It's a balance, right? How, How do you, how do we get to the point where we can really balance that so that our children have that, that freedom and then also that security because no kid should ever have to go through the experience that you went through and not have that safety net to go back to lovingly, like not having to to cover up what it is that you were experiencing so that the people who raised you don't suspect anything. Like that's just, that's, that's even more stress. Um, I I I I gotta wrap this up because I gotta get to a basketball practice. Here's what I am gonna say, and then I'm gonna try and make something up where I end up saying that's how you get unburdened. Corbin can can throw it in. Parents, I, I'm very good at this. Parents, I'm begging you. I'm begging you. If you're listening to this show, oh my God, I'm begging you. Stop romanticizing the idea of being the first. Stop romanticizing the idea of you're the first person to go to college. You're the first person to do this, that, and the third, because that puts that in their mind that they can't fail. Oh, I'm this far. I can't, I can't, I can't let them down. I can't, I can't fail. I can't, I can't give up. I can't, I can't break down. I can't do anything like that because I'm the first and everybody's looking at me. Everybody's expecting me. Everybody's waiting for me to do this and be successful. And that adds so much stress. I mean, it's beautiful that they're the first person to go to college, but they know that already. Don't go out and tell other people, like in conversation, the first thing you say about your kid is they're the first one to go to college. There's got to be a better way to do it than that. I don't know. Um, What I do know is this. At some point in your life, your kid is going to come to you or somebody's going to come to you and they're going to tell you that they feel less than. They feel less than what they actually are. And you get to really make a choice of how you're going to approach that conversation. You can either tell them, you know what, I think that you're this, that person. I think that you're this, that person. And they can walk off hearing exactly what they wanted to hear. Or you can tell them, you know what, you have these flaws 
and I'm not going to tell you any way to fix them. And they can go off knowing that they got issues and never know how to fix it. Or you can be that person who's just like, you know what? Here's what I think. What do you think? Let's work with that. And let's continue to build off of what you and I see together. So then we can become, you can become the person that you want to be. And I'm better because I am learning while I'm helping you because I'm getting a response back. Don't be scared to talk to your kids, but don't be scared to let your kids talk to you too. There's a difference between the two. And we have to recognize that. There's a difference between them talking to you and them saying what you want to hear. And they know how to do either or. When you let your kids talk to you the way that they want to talk to you, the way that they need to talk to you, the ways that they have for you, when those conversations actually happen, it is mind-blowing. And sometimes it's painful for you. Sometimes it's scary for them, but it, 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 it's necessary. If you can have those conversations with bravery and, and, and without any bad feelings harbored and without any fear of you retaliating against them if they say something you don't want to hear, if you're able to... What's up, kid? Awesome. They say, what's up, champ? Oh, you! they can't see you, and they can't hear you. If you <laughs> um, we heard that. <laughs> if, if you are going to be the parent that you really want to be, let your kids have a, have a mind of their own. If you do that, that's how, that's you, get how you get unburdened. Yep. Fellas, I apologize for cutting it short. I got to get to this basketball practice with these kids who their parents are probably dropping them off in front of the school as we speak and just taking off like, coach is going to be here. <laughs> um, that's a whole nother conversation. But yeah. to everybody who was in the watch parties, I greatly appreciate you. Everybody who had questions, I appreciate y'all. Uh, fellas, thank you so much. Y'all can email us at blackinunburdened at gmail.com. Um, you can hit us on the Patreon, which is http www.patreon.com backslash single simulcast. Uh, the PayPal is uh, paypal.me backslash single simulcast. Gerald is still doing dope business plans and changing the world one person at a time. Corbin is changing the world one person at a time. And I'm Derek. <laughs> Y'all be oh, good. No, no, don't sell yourself short with that. You change. No, nah, nah, I know what I do. I'm just, I'm, just I'm, I'm running out of time. You, you coaching the kids. Man, I got to get to these kids right now. I got <laughs> to teach these kids. <laughs> this is Unburdened, episode 20. And I think that this might have been the realest episode that we've ever had. I agree with you on that. In all honesty. Y'all be good. When this episode comes out, share it as soon as you finish listening to it. We appreciate each and every one of y'all. Oh, and uh, one of our posts went viral, but then we deleted it because the person who originally made the tweet requested that we take it down because they were getting harassed by people who were reading our tweet that went viral or our post that went viral. So, yeah, don't do that next time. Like, just have a nice conversation with them like we would, you know, that kind of thing. Other than that, y'all be good. We'll holler at you later. Be blessed. He's Corbin. He's Gerald. I'm Derek. We're out. Peace. Thank you.
you can follow the show at Unburdened Pod on Twitter. Voicemail is 916-572-9016. Email is blackinunburdened at gmail.com.